I try to pair up the Old Testament reading with the New to show how uh, something in the Old Testament, some promise or prophecy or picture, uh, finds its fulfillment in the New, and that I have done also today. Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 18, hear now the word of the Lord. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward, and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. He also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and let them dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Let us go now to Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 28. Here we see a fulfillment uh, to this promise uh, made in Genesis 9, 18 through 29 concerning Japheth and Japheth being enlarged and blessed in the tents of Shem. Let's see if you can find it here. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Poseidon and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Adela, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had to fulfill. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them, and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples." So far, the reading of God's most holy word, our prayer is that the Lord would bless the preaching of it this morning, and also our application of it of our lives, to our lives today. Now, brothers and sisters, the story of Genesis 9, 18-29 is very important, for it reveals in greater detail than before something of God's plan to bring salvation to His people. This text is crucial for it builds upon promises that were previously made and also sets the stage for important events that will transpire in the future. In order to 
properly interpret this story, we must look both backwards into the earlier chapters of Genesis and also forwards to see how it is developed. And in doing so, it will become abundantly clear that the events recorded in this passage build upon promises previously given by God and also set the stage for more development in God's redemptive program. The text that is before us today is neatly broken into two parts, uh, you noticed. First, we have the story of Noah's drunkenness, the shameful response of Ham to his father's nakedness, and the honorable behavior of of Shem and Japheth. Uh, Their impulse was to cover the shame of their father rather than to expose it. Uh, That story is told in verses 18 through 23 of Genesis 9. But secondly, we find the speech of Noah wherein he pronounces a curse upon Canaan, who is the son of wicked Ham, and blesses both Seth and Japheth. Uh, This story is told in verses 24 through 28 of Genesis 9. And it is this second part that is more significant, I think. The first section, the story concerning Noah, his drunkenness, and the responses of his sons, uh, simply sets the stage for the oracle of Noah, the, 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 the words that Noah spoke, the word of, of condemnation and the word of blessing upon his sons. I do suppose it is possible to draw application from this text, which condemns the sin of drunkenness and also encourages children to show respect to their parents. It is possible that we approach this passage in a moralistic way, is what I am saying, and simply draw that application out of it. Uh, Indeed, it is true, the scriptures forbid drunkenness. Uh, Wine may be drunk, but not to the point of drunkenness. This is communicated throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. And indeed, it is true that Noah sinned when he got drunk, and we may uh, pay special attention to all of, of the destruction that came as a result of that sin of Noah. And so we might make that application from the text. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, We might also urge uh, children to show honor and respect to their parents. Uh, The scriptures forbid the disrespect of parents, and, and this was the sin of Ham. He did not honor his father, but he acted shamefully when he drew attention to the shame of his father rather than covering it. The text is not explicit, but it it must be what Ham did. Uh, The text does not say this, but he saw his father's nakedness and he went away and he told his brothers and then they went and covered the shame of, of, of their father's nakedness. And this ended up bringing a curse upon Ham. Obviously, what Ham did is he went and he began to, to talk about his father. He began to disrespect his father. He began to expose his shame rather than covering it. What he did was he showed dishonor uh, to uh, his father by taking this course of action. Uh, I think it is possible to make application like this from the text, but if what I said in this sermon was, this story teaches us to not get drunk and to honor your parents, full stop, end of story, I think I would be guilty of mishandling this portion of Scripture. This text is not primarily about morals. Instead, it's about God's program of redemption. It reveals more clearly than ever before God's plan 
for bringing salvation to his people. This text is not to be approached, therefore, in a moralistic way, but it is to be interpreted in a redemptive, historical way. This text reveals what God will do in order to bring salvation to his people. It is crucial to see that in this story, the story of Noah's drunkenness, the shameful response of Ham to his father's nakedness, and the honorable behavior of Shem and Japheth, we actually find a repeat of the story of Adam's fall into sin. I wonder if you were able to recognize this. When we read this story, we find a repeat of the story of Adam's fall into sin. Many of the themes present in the story of Adam's fall are repeated here in this narrative. And I think this is very significant, for it helps us to see what the story is. It is a reiteration of God's purpose to save a people for himself despite their sin. In verse 18 and 19, verses 18 and 19, we read, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah, and from these people the whole earth were dispersed. And so these verses pick up where Genesis 6-9 left off before telling us of the story of the great and worldwide flood. Uh, Go back prior to that flood story and remember that in Genesis 6-9 we read, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now we return to focus on these figures, Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Notice that it was from these three that the whole earth would be repopulated after the flood. Notice also the parenthetical note that Ham was the father of Canaan. This is emphasized again in verse 20, where Ham again is called the father of Canaan. This will become an important piece of of information later in the story, so don't forget it. Ham was the father of Canaan. It's stated twice in the narrative here. In verses 20 and 21 we read, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. The story is simple enough, isn't it? Noah was a farmer. He planted a vineyard. Vineyards and wine are associated with God's blessing in the Scriptures. But Noah misused God's blessing when he became drunk with the wine, and therefore he laid shamefully naked and exposed in his tent. I think it is important that we compare Noah with Adam here, and Noah's transgression with Adam's. One, notice that Noah and Adam were both farmers. Adam was put by God in the Garden of Eden to work and to keep it, Genesis 2.15. It's true that Adam was more than a farmer, for he was to keep the garden. He was to protect it from intruders. But Adam was not less than a farmer. He was to tend the garden, and he was to expand its borders to the ends of the earth. That was his, his mandate prior to his fall into sin. Uh, Noah was also a farmer. Noah began to be a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. Two, notice that Adam's sin and Noah's sin both involved a misuse of God's blessing of the fruit of the ground. Adam was given every tree in the garden to eat with the exception of one. And he sinned when he ate of the forbidden fruit. Notice that in our story today, Noah was blessed with the vineyard. But he sinned when he misused the fruit of the vine and became drunk with the wine. Three, notice the result of Adam's sin and of Noah's. Both men were ashamed of their nakedness after they sinned. 
When Adam and Eve sinned by eating of the forbidden fruit, remember the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made, loin, made themselves loincloths. That is Genesis 3.7. And when Noah sinned, what was the result? When he sinned by drinking wine to the point of drunkenness, he fell asleep and he laid naked in his tent. There he experienced the shame of his nakedness. Uh, th- these episodes... Adam's sin and and Noah's and the results of their sin. They are not identical, but do you notice that they are similar? They are meant to be compared. After God created the heavens and the earth, He created man, placed him in His garden, and entered into a covenantal relationship with Adam as the representative for all of humanity. Adam was to obey God. Instead, he rebelled. And having sinned, he experienced the shame of his nakedness. Similarly, After God brought a new earth and a new humanity through the waters of the flood, He entered into a covenantal relationship with Noah as a representative for all humanity. Noah was to obey God, but he sinned. And having sinned, he experienced the shame of his nakedness. We have a reiteration, a repeat of the story of Adam's fall into sin. In verses 22 and 23, the response of Noah's sons to his sin and shame are described to us. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and he told his two brothers outside. Again, as we read between the lines, we are to assume that he, he, he laughed at his father. He mocked his father. He scorned his father. He sought to expose his sin. Otherwise, why would he be cursed by his father afterwards? He acted in a shameful way. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on their shoulders, and walked backward and covered the nakedness of their father. They took a cloak that was used to to cover a a man, a a kind of jacket of sorts, you know, an outer cloak, and they put it over their shoulders together and they began to walk slowly backwards into the tent. Can you imagine this? Uh, It's quite a a scene, right? It's really a a touching scene, actually, that these two would go to such trouble to to cover uh, their father's Nakedness. Their faces were turned backwards. In other words, they looked away from their father and they did not see their father's nakedness. Even if we were to read this text superficially, it is not difficult to see that Ham did something shameful and Shem and Japheth did something honorable for their father. Ham showed disrespect to his father when he exposed and magnified his sin. Instead of seeking to cover it, he found his father drunk and shamefully exposed. And instead of covering his father's nakedness, he went out to tell his brothers, presumably to mock his father in his moment of shame. But Shem and Japheth did the honorable thing. They showed respect to their father and covered the shame of his nakedness. They draped a cloak over their shoulders, walked backwards into the tent, and having arrived at the foot of their father's bed, I assume that this is how they pulled this feet off without looking at him. They probably came right to the back of the bed and threw the cloak off backwards to drop it over their father. It is important to God that children honor their parents. The fifth of the Ten Commandments speaks to this. We've covered it already with our children today uh, through the Catechism. Paul the Apostle referred to that commandment when he wrote, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Uh, Children are to show honor to their parents. This they are to do even when they are young and old. And this they are to do even if their parent is acting in less than an honorable way. Noah did not act in an honorable way here, and yet Shem and Japheth covered his shame. 
Ham disrespected his father by failing to cover him, and by mocking his nakedness, Shem and Japheth honored their father by refusing to look upon his shame, and by going to the trouble to cover him in the moment of his disgrace. And this is evident from a superficial reading of the text. But I think we should continue to do what we have already done and compare this passage with the passage that describes Adam's temptation, his sin, and God's response to it. When we do, we will find that the actions of Ham showed that he was of the evil one. He was of the seed of the serpent, whereas Shem and Japheth were of God. They were of the promised seed of the woman. When Ham rejoiced in his father's shame and sought to magnify and expose it by telling his brothers, he showed that he was in league with the evil one who rejoiced in Adam's fall and shame. Ham had the heart of the serpent, in other words. Ham was of the seed of the serpent. He was the one, as we will see, through whom the line of wicked Cain would be preserved in the new world. God will always have a people in this world, brothers and sisters, and so will the evil one. After the fall, we see that the seed of the serpent was preserved in the line of Cain. Their wickedness prevailed. And after the floodwaters covered the earth, what we are learning now is that the wickedness of the line of Cain will now uh, emanate from uh, the line of Ham and, and, and through Canaan and through uh, that line. Ham was of the evil one and his response to his father's sin and shame revealed it. Ham acted just like the evil one acted uh, in bringing temptation to Adam and in rejoicing over his fall. But when Shem and Japheth covered their father's nakedness, they demonstrated that they were of God. They had the heart of God who grieved over the sin of Adam and graciously covered the shame of his nakedness. What did God do in response to Adam's sin and to the shame that Adam experienced along with Eve? After Adam and Eve sinned, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But when the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Genesis 3, 8-10. And how did God respond to this? Well, after pronouncing his judgments, the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. So by their actions, Shem and Japheth demonstrated that they were of God. They were in league with Him and possessed His heart. Uh, they, their impulse was to respond in the same way that God did uh, to Adam's sin. Now, this story, as important as it is, it merely sets the stage uh, for the curse that Noah pronounced upon Canaan, that is Ham's son, and the blessing that he pronounced upon Shem and Japheth, uh, this curse and these blessings would set the trajectory for the rest of history as it pertains to God's redemptive purposes. From these three men, the earth would be repopulated, and these three men would represent three distinct groups of people in relation to God's program of redemption. Canaan, the son of Ham, was cursed, Shem was blessed, and Japheth was blessed by his association with Shem. This episode 
uh, wherein Noah pronounces a curse upon Canaan and blesses Shem and Japheth, is to be compared with that episode wherein God pronounced His judgments upon the serpent, Eve and Adam. Do you remember that narrative there? Adam fell into sin. God approached Adam, where are you? Adam came forth, so did Eve, and God pronounced curses upon the serpent and upon Eve and upon Adam in that order. But remember that embedded within those judgments was the gospel. Good news was announced. A promise was given that one would arise from the seed of the woman who would bruise the head of the serpent. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In other words, uh, through the woman and from her offspring, a savior would come, a champion would arise. And so God gave this promise which, which provided a, a clue as to how he would ultimately respond to sin. It provided a clue as to how the rest of human history would unfold. There would be a seed of the serpent and there would be a seed of the woman. And in due time, the seed of the woman would have victory over the seed of the serpent. Uh, it revealed how the rest of human history would unfold in general as it pertains to God's plan of redemption. This gospel was proclaimed in the context of judgments that God pronounced upon three figures, the serpent, Eve, and Adam. The words of Noah in Genesis 9.24 and following are to be viewed as a continuation of the word of the Lord in Genesis 3.14 and 15. I want for you to catch this, brothers and sisters. The words of Noah in Genesis 9.24 and following are to be viewed as a continuation of the word of the Lord in Genesis 3.14 and 15. These words of Noah pick up the theme of Genesis 3.14 and 15, which has to do with the curse of God upon Satan and his followers and the eventual victory that would be won by the Messiah and bring them into the new world. There was a flood. The old world passed away with that flood. There is now a new world. That world will be repopulated by Noah and his sons, the, the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, but also the promise given, the promise given to Adam and to Eve through the curse of the serpent, that also is being brought over into the new world. It has not been wiped out, in other words. And it is being brought over into the new world in this narrative. There will still be wickedness in the line of Ham, in the line of the Canaanites, in the line of Canaan. But the promise remains that God will have a people for Himself in the world. Shem is blessed and Japheth will find his blessing in the tents of Shem. So that same message was communicated in the new world also. The one that was communicated in the old world shortly after the fall through the curse and blessings pronounced upon Noah and his sons, but with greater clarity and precision than before. So the gospel was announced in seed form there before Adam and Eve as the serpent was cursed. But now we see that that seed is beginning to develop. It's beginning to grow. We see with more clarity now what God will do in order to bring about redemption for His elect. Let us consider the curse that Noah pronounced upon Canaan, Ham's son, in verses 24 through 25. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall, be, shall he be to his brothers. Why did Noah curse Canaan instead of cursing Ham directly? 
One, it is probably to communicate that these curses and blessings have to do not just with these three men individually, but with their offspring. These men represent their offspring. And if you know the story of the Old Testament and the enmity that will exist between the Israelites and the Canaanites, then it is easy to understand why Canaan would be named specifically instead of Ham. Secondly, there is probably a play on words in the Hebrew. Uh, The name for Canaan in the Hebrew sounds very much like the verb which means subdue. Canaan would be subdued by the offspring of of his brothers. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. I think this is why Canaan is cursed and not Ham. There is a play on words that is taking place. This is at least one of the reasons for it. This curse would play out in the history of redemption in the days of the conquest of Israel. You have to think ahead now to after uh, the descendants of Shem and Abraham, they, they go into Egypt, they are in bondage there, they are eventually brought out and they are promised a land, aren't they? They wander in the wilderness for 40 years under Moses, but under Joshua they finally enter in. And who do they have to drive out of the land? They have to drive out the Canaanites uh, from the land. They are the the enemies of the people of God. Uh, Canaan would be subdued by his brothers. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be uh, to his brothers. In verse 26 we find Noah's blessing upon Shem. He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. So a blessing is pronounced upon Shem, but notice that Shem is not actually blessed or directly blessed. Who is blessed here in verse 26? He said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. Um, I think this is interesting. Um, It is the Lord who is blessed, but notice that it is in this that the blessing of Shem is found. The Lord is their God. There is no greater blessing in all the earth than to have the Lord as God. Shem is set apart from his brothers in this regard. The Lord, the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, the maker of heaven and earth, is their God, uniquely so. And so Shem is blessed in this that the Lord is their God. And so we see that in this man and in his descendants, the line of of, of the seed of the woman is going to be preserved. The line of, of Seth and of Abel before him is going to be preserved. And this line, we see that these will possess God and possess his name. There is also a play on words here with the name Shem. Shem means name. And here is the distinguishing characteristic of the line of Shem. They have taken the name of the Lord to themselves. They are God's people. The Lord is their God. They they will call upon His name. Now this will play out clearly in the narrative of of Genesis in future chapters. In Genesis 11.10-26 we will find the genealogy of Shem spelled out for us, and and I will not read it in its entirety at this time. But for now, it is important to note that Abram, who will later become Abraham, is in the line of Shem. You can see it for yourself in Genesis 11.26. And it is from Abraham that the Hebrew people will descend, as you know well. What is the meaning, therefore, Uh, The meaning is this, so far, the descendants of Ham, the Canaanites, are of the evil one. They are the continuation of the line of Cain in the new world. 
They are the continuation of the seed of the serpent in the new world. But the descendants of Shem are blessed in the Lord. They belong uniquely to Him. They bear His name. They are the continuation of the line of Abel and Seth in the new world. They are the continuation of the seed of the woman. From them, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, would come, who would conquer the evil one himself. Now, before we move on to consider Japheth and what is said concerning Japheth, I would like to make a point of clarification when we talk about these genealogies, like the genealogy of Cain and Seth, or the line of Ham and Shem, and when we identify them with the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman who are mentioned for the first time in Genesis 3.14 and following, respectively, we should not think that all of the individuals within those lines were either saved or unsaved, justified or condemned. That is not the message that I intended to send, though I may have done so. The thing that distinguishes between those who are saved and unsaved, justified or condemned, is what? It is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith in the promise concerning His coming. Uh, Faith is the thing that distinguishes those who are saved from unsaved, justified or condemned. Uh, The question is, did that person have faith in the promised Christ? And I am quite sure that not all in the line of Seth or in the line of Shem had faith. And I would also imagine that some in the line of Cain and some in the line of Ham had faith in the God of Seth and Shem. By the grace of God, they, though they were Canaanites and Cainites, identified with the Sethites and the Shemites and worshipped the Lord and had Him as their God. When we say that these genealogies, the genealogies of Seth and Shem, belong to God, and to the seed of the woman, what we mean is that the worship of God was promoted and maintained amongst them, and the promises of God were preserved and propagated amongst them. In general and in an external way, they belonged to God. Uh, Many of them had faith, no doubt, but, but not all. And to illustrate this principle, we only need to point to the Old Covenant and and to Israel who lived under the Old old Covenant and say, though they all were descendants of Abraham, not all had the faith of Abraham. This will become exceedingly clear that that in a very unique way, uh, the descendants of Abraham, ethnic Israel, belonged to God. There the worship of God was promoted amongst them. There the promises of God were were maintained and pronounced. From them the Messiah would come, but did all who were of Israel uh, truly belong to God? Did they have the faith of their father Abraham? No, indeed, there were times where very few of them did. Where some of the prophets thought they were the last ones on, on planet earth who had this faith. But nevertheless, within that line and amongst that people, the worship of God and the promises of God were preserved. I think we are to see that the same thing was going on all the way back uh, after the days of Adam. Uh, a particular line belonged uniquely to God and were set apart to promote the worship of God and to promote His promises in the world. In general, therefore, the Canaanites were cursed of God and belonged to the evil one, whereas the Shemites were set apart as God's people. They bore His name. The Lord was their God and they were his people in the world. But what about Japheth? In verse 27 we read, May God enlarge Japheth, and let him dwell in the tents of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. 
Notice that Japheth is blessed, but he is blessed specifically in Shem. Let him dwell in the tents of Shem, the text says. This blessing communicates that in due time, the tents of Shem would be opened to Japheth so that he might come in and enjoy the blessing that belonged uniquely to him. There's also a play on words here. The Hebrew word translated as enlarge in the ESV, um, in verse 27, it might also be translated open wide. May, may God open wide a door for Japheth is the idea. It's actually a rare Hebrew word that sounds very much like the name Japheth. In the Hebrew, it would sound like this, may Yapheth, that is open, i.e. open the tent, uh, may God Yapheth for Yapheth is the idea here. Um, there's a play on words. And again, the meaning is this, God will eventually open wide the tent of Shem so that Japheth might enter in to enjoy the blessings of Shem. And what were the blessings of Shem? Remember, the Lord was their God. They bore His name. He was their God and they were His people. And so in due time, the doors of the tents of Shem would be thrown open to the descendants of Japheth so that they might enter in. Who are the descendants of Japheth? If we pay careful attention to the development of these things in the Scriptures, it becomes clear that they are the Gentiles. We call them the Gentiles. For a time, the promises of God and the worship of God would be confined to the descendants of Shem, that is, to the Hebrews. From Shem would come Eber. He is one of his descendants. And this is where the name Hebrew comes from, from this name Eber. They are the Hebrews, the Eberus. And from Eber would come Abraham. From Abraham would come Isaac, from Isaac, Jacob. The children of Jacob would go into Egypt, and then God would appoint Moses to call them out. Under Moses, the Hebrews would be made into a unique nation for a time, and from them the Christ would eventually come. But when the Christ came, the kingdom of God would no longer be restricted to the Hebrew people, to the descendants of Shem. Indeed, the gospel of the kingdom would be preached to all nations, and it would be in the gospel of the kingdom going to all nations that the blessings pronounced by Noah upon Japheth would be Fulfilled. In the days of Christ and under the new covenant, the doors of the tent of Shem would be thrown open so that the descendants of Japheth might come in and have the God of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Moses as their own. Brothers and sisters, this is such a major theme in the pages of the New Testament. I want for you to look for it as you read the New Testament Scriptures. Look for the emphasis upon the fulfillment of these promises that in the days of Christ and under the New Covenant, the Kingdom of God would burst forth from Israel and expand to the furthest corners of the earth. For a time, the Kingdom of God was confined, at least visibly, to Israel, to that ethnic people. But when the New Covenant was instituted, when Christ finally came, the Kingdom of God would burst forth from Israel and expand to the furthest corners of the earth. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the emphasis. God is not only the God of Shem, but also of Japheth. Christ came to redeem not only the descendants of Shem and of Eber and of Abraham, 
but also the descendants of Japheth. His concern is that the doors of the tents of Shem would be opened also to the Gentiles. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have, have everlasting life. And Jesus came to His disciples near to the end of His earthly ministry and said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to Me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. And what did His apostles do except preach the gospel to the nations? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Jesus said, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That is to be expected. And in all Judea, that also is to be expected, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. We also read the words of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, verses 46 through 47. And Paul and Barnabas spoke boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. He preached the gospel first to his Jewish brethren. And he says it was necessary and, and right that we do this. But since you thrust it aside, we are now turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you might bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And in Ephesians, Paul teaches this way, saying, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh... He's writing to Gentiles who have believed upon Christ. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time, prior to uh, the coming of Christ in the Old Covenant, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. You didn't have access to these things at that time having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, you descendants of Japheth, once you were far off, you have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one. In other words, the descendants of Shem and the descendants of Japheth in Christ Jesus are one. For God in Christ has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Friends, most of you are not descendants of Shem, but you are descendants of Japheth. You are those Gentiles who are blessed in the tents of the Hebrews now. The door of the tent has been thrown open to you by Christ who came, not to save the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. Though you do not descend from Abraham according to the flesh, by genealogy, you are His children according to promise and by faith. In verse 29 we read these words, After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. I think this is meant to communicate to us in no uncertain terms. This whole narrative, and particularly this last remark, 
that Noah, though he was a righteous man, though he was used by God to, uh, to, to accomplish a great act of, of salvation and deliverance there on the ark through the flood waters, he was not the one. He was not the promised Christ. Uh, that Christ would come in due time through the line of Shem and would bring the Japhethites in as well, but he was not the one. He sinned himself, he was not perfect, and he himself died. I think this is incredible, brothers and sisters. I know that this sermon was even more technical perhaps than most. Um, But isn't it incredible how God has revealed the gospel successively and by steps throughout the history of redemption? I say all of this to you and I teach these things because in my opinion, this is one of the greatest proofs for the validity of the Christian faith. Um, It is that the, the, the Messiah, the Christ, did not just appear out of the blue. Some guy named Jesus of Nazareth did not just appear on the scene one day to say, I have some claims to make concerning myself. He did not just begin to teach. But rather we see that that promises were made even in the days of Adam and Eve and they were reiterated more clearly and progressively as the history of redemption unfolds. There is a, a story here told not just in a book but that has been told in human history through historical events. The Christ did not just appear out of the blue, but He came in fulfillment to all of these promises. I think this is, this is one of the things that encourages me concerning the validity of the Christian faith, that the Bible tells one story. We see God's plan of redemption grow from seed form, and it begins to blossom and to sprout forth and to flourish as a full-grown tree in the days of Christ Jesus. Even Adam and Eve had access to the gospel. They knew that a Savior would eventually come through the seed of the woman, But in the days of Noah, things were reiterated and made even more clear. A unique people would be set aside in the line of Shem, and through them, the descendants of Japheth would be blessed. This all reached its climax with the coming of the Christ. I ask you, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you come into the tents of Shem? Do you have the Lord as your God through faith in Christ? And I wonder also, brothers and sisters, are we laboring to proclaim this Christ? To the nations, in obedience to the command of Christ, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Are we laboring together to proclaim Him, to point to Him, to say, Here is the Savior of the world, the forgiveness of sins is found in Him. Are we, are we concerned to see Christ preach to the very ends of the earth? And are we committed to do this until He returns? I hope the answer to all of these things is yes, brothers and sisters, and we need to consider these things as a church. Are we committed to see this gospel preached to the Gentiles, to the furthest places on planet earth? Let us bow together for a word of prayer. God, we thank you for your word, which is so rich, this one small passage uh, uh, with stories within it that seem, in the whole scheme of things, rather insignificant. Words spoken by Noah very briefly to his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Lord, uh, how important they are, though, as they develop. We thank you that you, God, have been faithful to fulfill your promises, that you have provided a Savior for our sins and for the sins of all nations. Uh, God, I pray that we would be found in Him and that we would be constant in holding Him forth to those who are still in their sins around us. May your Spirit move and work in bringing many to repentance and to glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.